he's not nearly as high strung as I was when I was his age. You know, I had I was just starting out my career and I had little kids and, and I was just going a million miles an hour. And just I remember that uh very early on in the first few months that I had started as an assistant professor that uh, uh, the, the department had this, this get-together to get to know the new graduate students. And Shireen and I went, and the, we had two little girls. And I remember sitting down by this, there was this brook. Uh, it was, it was out, out in the country somewhere. And I remember laying down and just meditating on this verse. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And how God would bring his peace. It says in verse 3, He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. So when things get really tough and I'm drawn back to the basics, I say, Lord, restore my soul. So much is stirred up in my life. Restore my soul. If you will learn how to strengthen yourself in the Lord your God, Learn how to take the Word of God and come right back to Psalm 23. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Lord, what I'm going through today, I don't have to fear. Remember, this is going to be the basics in your time of trial. One day, and many days in your life, things will come crashing down. And you will be drawn back, back here to the basics. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. And I get this vision of God just preparing this huge banquet table and saying, this is for you. This is for you. And God strengthens me. He strengthens me by doing this. Then it says, surely... Goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is the promise. That is the promise that He gives. If you turn to, uh, <clears throat> turn to Revelation chapter 5, the book of Revelation chapter 5. Again, another strengthening verse. I'll, I'll get done with Psalm 23 and then I'll be reminded to go back to Revelation chapter 25. If you look in Revelation, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. It says, And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. God comes and He says, Stop weeping. There's a season in David's life where he wept. And there are these seasons that things happen in life that are tremendously painful. And then after some time of weeping, it has to stop. God says, stop weeping. The elder says, stop weeping. Why? Because the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. Because the lion... From the tribe of Judah, the root of David has overcome. That's why I stop weeping and I get up and I go on. It says in Proverbs, the, the, the wicked run when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. This is what you will come out with. If you learn to take the scriptures, 
if you learn to take the Scriptures and strengthen yourself in them, learning to pick up Psalm 23, strengthening yourself in those Scriptures, you will be built up. And then, remembering that you can't stay there, you can't stay in that place where you were defeated. God is saying, now stop weeping. It is time. Why? Because the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. It is learning how to overcome. If you learn how to take hold of this, you can be like David. David, more than any man, any man that I see in the scriptures, understood recovery. <clears throat> you know, he, he wrote this Psalm 51 after his sin with Bathsheba. This, this Psalm 51. I have gone there when there's been these times of, of where I've sinned in ways that I never thought I would. And I'm reminded again of my own failures in my humanity. I will go to Psalm 51 and read through that. And I'm reminded of David's recovery. That this man, better than anybody, knew how to recover. This is an important quality in life. Learning how to press into the Lord, stop weeping, and recover. It is the recovery of David. So let's turn back to 1 Samuel and see this recovery that David is about to embark on. So verse 7 of 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. We looked last time about how previously he would say, Bring me the ephod. And Abiathar would bring the ephod. Then he went 14 months without ever seeking God at all. 14 months. And then his his life is devastated. God uses things to get our attention. God uses things to get our attention because of his great love. His life is devastating. He says, please bring me the effort. There's no cockiness left in him. He calls for the effort. Then David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to them, Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. So now, all of a sudden, God says, Go ahead, pursue and overtake, because you will rescue all. Well, how do I know? Well, God spoke it. Yeah, well, God's spoken a lot of things. How do I know? How do I know He's not just setting me up for a fall? Yeah, he spoke that go ahead, pursue, overtake. You shall overtake them. Because David had to take this by faith. He had to grab this word by faith. David could have sat there and said, no, mm-mm. Fourteen months I went without seeking God. I've lost everything. God is obviously against me. And deservedly so. Because I rejected him for fourteen months. So he's now against me. No, the scriptures say, you take this by faith. By faith you are to take this. God spoke a word, and remember how David, he had come out of a time of strengthening himself in the Lord. He had come out of this season where he strengthened himself in the Lord. And then, he's able to call upon God, God speaks, and he acts upon it. These things come by faith. Then look what happens. In verse 9, So David 
went he and six hundred men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where those left behind remained. But David pursued he and four hundred men, for two hundred were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor, and so they remained behind. Okay, so they were moving at such a fast pace to catch these Amalekites that had taken, that had uh, uh, wiped out Ziklag. They were moving at such a fast pace. Of these 600 men that were really tough guys, remember these were raiding bands of men that would go in and had taken city after city on the southern portion of that land, wiping out groups of people. Very tough men. They were moving at such a fast pace that 200 of them, of the 600, couldn't continue. You know, I, I, there was a season in my life where I was really reading a lot about the Civil War. And I would read about the marches of Stonewall Jackson, who was a, a, a very godly man. And the way he would have his troops march was so fast, so fast, people could not understand how troops appeared to, to uh, uh, get in their way like this, because he would march his men faster than anyone could march their men. But he lost a lot of men along the way. David was moving so fast, 200 men couldn't continue. So, imagine. The bottom drops out of your life. You recover spiritually to the point where you go back to God. God speaks that go and pursue them, you will recover all. Why why do I have to move so fast? You know, can't God just kind of make it so the Amalekites aren't moving very fast and... They just went over the next hill and kind of stopped there. And why is it that one-third of my troops have to fail me? One-third of the troops can't even go on. You'd think if God spoke, then everything would go easy now, right? Because God spoke it. So if God speaks it, it should be easy, right? Wrong. It is never the case. Rarely the case. If it has been the case for you, You've not experienced real life. God speaks many things, but doesn't mean that it then becomes easy. Life remains a challenge. He didn't make this easy for David. He had to pursue so quickly, and then 200 of his men said, we can't continue. So one out of every three men says, "Uh uh-uh, I can't go on. Yeah, I lost my wife, I lost my children, but I just can't go on. And so David now has to pursue this band with only 400 of his men instead of 600. Life doesn't automatically become easy just because God speaks something. It's not easy in your career. God may be calling you into a particular career. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. He may be calling you to get married and to have a family. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. The most difficult thing in me, for me in my life has been being a father. Learning how to work with children. That's the most difficult thing for me. Chemistry is easy in comparison to that. You know, it's, it's the biology that's hard. These complex organisms that, that are, are really tough. I mean, chemicals are, are well behaved. It says in verse 11, Now they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he ate and they provided him water. To drink, They gave him a piece of fig cake and two clusters of raisins, and he ate. Then his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. David said to him, To whom do you belong? 
And where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man of Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind when I fell sick three days ago. We made a raid on the Negev of the Cherethites and on that which belongs to Judah and on the Negev of Caleb and we burned Ziklag with fire. Then David said to him, Will you bring me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master and I will bring you down to this band. Okay, so they find an Egyptian. Egyptians weren't people that were under a curse. Amalekites were under a curse that God was going to kill them all because of what they had done to Israel way back in Moses' time. We had read some of those verses. But Egyptians were not at all under the curse. So he finds this Egyptian. It says they found him in a field. Some of his men found him in a field and they brought him to David. He had not eaten bread. He had not eaten or drunk anything for... He didn't eaten. He hadn't had anything to eat or anything to drink for three days. If you go three days without eating and drinking... Drinking in particular, you're going to be one hurting unit. And if you happen to be in an environment like Israel where the sun is blazing hot, the intensity of the sun is is quite intense, you're very near death. This man was very near death. It wasn't like he was sitting there whistling under a tree. They probably found this guy either flat on his face or flat on his back and could hardly even breathe anymore. He was so weak. One more day, he surely would have been dead. But he says that his master was an Amalekite. He says that they were Amalekites. So David now learns that these are Amalekites he's going after, and they are under a curse. Every one of them should be killed, and uh, according to what was, was commanded in Scripture. And it says that he left me here three days ago. So the Amalekites are three days ahead of David. Three days ahead. I mean, this is a long way. They had a three-day head start, because remember, David had been up further in the north with the Philistines, and this Egyptian recounts to David exactly what had happened. He says, we made a raid on the Negev of the Cherethites. Remember, the Cherethites are the Philistines. That was the other name for the Philistines. So they made a raid on the southern portion where the Philistines are, and on that which belongs to Judah. In other words, they had also made raids on the southern portions of Judah, and on the Negev of Caleb. Caleb was given those southern cities. And we burned Ziklag with fire. So, he re- so David knows that this guy is telling the truth, because David had experienced Ziklag. He had already seen the thing was burned. But he says, my la- master left me here because I fell sick three days ago. So David... You know, usually you, you, can, you can track a large band of people that are moving. But if David has the advantage of this Egyptian, this Egyptian will know exactly which way they are going. And uh, uh, maybe that David could cut them off by, by uh, maybe going through a harder terrain or something to cut them off. But in any case, they've got to make up some, some ground here. And so they're moving very swiftly. So they get this guy nursed back up. They said, would you take us? He says, as long as you don't turn me back to my master. So the implication here is that they did strike into an agreement, although the Egyptian didn't have much choice here, probably. There were, there were 400 very angry men standing there that had just lost everything. And one lone, lowly, starving Egyptian <laughs> is, is going to be quite compliant, you would think. So, uh, uh, verse 16, When they brought him down, behold, they were spread over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil that they had taken 
from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. David slaughtered them from the twilight until evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. But nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, son or daughter, spoil or anything that they had taken for themselves. David brought it all back. So he had captured all the sheep and all the cattle which the people drove ahead of their other livestock. And they said, this is David's spoil. So David recovered all, but he had to take this, remember, by faith. He had to take this word by faith. You know, one of the sorrows that I have in working with people a lot, believers a lot, is to see how much people miss in their lives by lacking faith. The word that was spoken to David was, go, you shall surely overtake them, you shall surely recover all. This was, was the word that was spoken to David. David had to go in faith, that this word was going to stand true. In spite of his disobedience, that even though he had disobeyed, and now he had spent, we don't know, a night at the most, maybe a few hours strengthening himself in the Lord his God, that he was good to go with the Lord, he had to understand how to pick things up by faith. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. That is our chapter. That is our chapter on faith in the New Testament. A chapter on faith. We'll read just a portion of it. Because I want you to see what people have to take hold of. Remember, the shame of it is that so few believers, Christians, will pick up this word of faith and walk in it. Look in, in Hebrews chapter 11. The whole chapter is on faith, but we'll start reading from verse 23. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Well, what was the king's edict? The king's edict was that every male-born child of the children of Israel was to be thrown into the Nile to drown. It said his parents hid him for, for three months because they saw he was a beautiful child. And because they were not afraid of the king's edict. I mean, this is Pharaoh. This is an important guy and a mean guy. It says they did not fear his edict because of faith. If you have faith, you don't have to walk in fear. You know, I remember in, uh, right after 9-11, there was just this lull in students' lives. It just felt, you know, why even bother going to school? I mean, will there even be jobs? I mean, this was such a surprise, such a devastation. And the university was setting up extra counseling and things. And students were coming to me. I said, I'm not worried about this at all. And they'd be kind of shocked and almost offended. Like, why am I not taking this more seriously? I said, because this is not how it's written to be the end. The end comes differently, I know, because the end is described in the Scripture. So this is not the end. So come what may, I'm going to be all right. And you're going to be okay. You know, it was like a slap in the face, and they'd, oh, okay. And I could speak with them for three minutes, and they're, okay. I said, you know, you're going to graduate in a few years, and there's going to be a job for you. You're going to be okay, because they were walking around like, why should I even finish my degree? 
I mean, it's over. It's not over. It's not over. By faith, they overcame this fear that everyone else was throwing their, their male children into the Nile. And Moses' parents wouldn't do it. They said, this is a, it's a good baby. I'm not throw him into the Nile. I'm not afraid of the king's edict. Faith brings you past fear again and again. You know, people were living in fear because uh, anthrax was being sent around in packages. Didn't want to open anything. No, this is a serious thing where a lot of people were afraid to do this. They thought someone was going to send them an anthrax package because a few of them had been sent to some public offices in Washington and then one in uh, Florida or something. So I'm not going to live under this fear. I refuse to live under this fear. Not going to do it. Look in, in uh, verse 24 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Remember, Moses was raised up by Pharaoh's daughter, who found him in the Nile in a little, in, in, in a little ark, in a little boat. Raised up by Pharaoh's daughter, and Moses was nursed by his own mother, because Moses' sister ran up to Pharaoh's daughter and said, want me to find a, a, a wet nurse for you? She said, sure. And she brought the mother of Moses. So he was raised in the house of Pharaoh. He could well have called himself the grandson of Pharaoh. But it says, by faith, by faith Moses did this. When he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In other words, many people were trying to call him the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Maybe even Pharaoh's own daughter was trying to say, Moses, just say you're my son. And it will go much better for you. It says he refused by faith. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Christian, will you name yourself as a believer in your workplace? Will you name yourself as a believer? Because as soon as you name yourself as a believer, people will start watching you. This is what it says. He chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And if you think it's hard on a Christian in this day and age in the United States, compare that to being called a Jew, uh, a Hebrew, in Egypt in the time of Moses. Verse 26, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Oh, how beautiful this is. He considered the reproach of Christ. You say, well, Christ wasn't even there. No, he was there. Jesus has always been. Moses considered the reproach of Christ. The scripture refers to this, the abuse that Moses was taking, the reproach of Christ. Because Jesus said that... that uh, uh, that when we bear this, it's as if they're doing it to Him. This is the reproach of Christ. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He could have tapped into the treasures of Egypt by being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Had He been called that. But He was looking to the reward. By faith, He was looking to something else. I see something that nobody else sees. I see a reward at the end. I see something that nobody else sees. So that when my colleagues speak poorly of me because of Christ, 
I see a reward at the end. The Bible guarantees me that I am blessed when I am reviled for His name. That I am blessed when I am mocked for His name. If you will by faith look to the reward, you will have so much more. You look to the reward of what's out there. By faith, He looked to the reward. Or you can just say, well, there's really no reward out there and God really doesn't have anything to me. This is just a bunch of nonsense anyway. You can do that. You can make that choice. And most Christians make that choice in that direction. Very few will be like Moses and look to the reward that God has so much more for you. More than you ever could have asked or thought God has for you. Go ahead, ask of Him in your career. Go ahead, ask of Him. He has even more for you if you take it by faith. Verse 27, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. It says he left Egypt. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. And he endured as seeing him who is unseen. He walked out of Egypt with a few million uh, Hebrews with him, not fearing the wrath of the king. It says, Moses did not fear. How could he not fear? The whole Egyptian army is coming after him. And he endured as seeing him who is unseen. You can see him who is unseen. Him who nobody else sees. Unbelievers can't see. You can see him. By faith. By faith. If you will take hold of this. David had to take hold of things by faith and he recovered all. Without faith, you do not recover. You say, well, well, you know, whatever happens, it's going to happen, whether, regardless, of, regardless of whether I have faith or not. not. Not so. The Scriptures tell us, not so. They receive these things by faith. Let's jump on down to uh, uh, verse 32 of Hebrews 11. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, of Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, uh, shut the the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Look in verse 33. By faith they obtained promises. So there's all of these promises. Some promises we just fall into by being believers. We acquire them. But many of the promises we acquire only by faith. Only by faith. That God will give us this. We acquire them by faith. Will you have faith? By faith they did these things. They conquered kingdoms. They quenched the power of fire. Things that never could they, they have imagined. They were made strong. It says they became mighty in war by faith. So you don't become mighty just by sitting there. You become mighty in war. This, this is what happened with Stonewall Jackson. He was a very poor professor at, at uh, uh, VMI, Virginia Military Institute. That war just catapulted him into this, this place of great faith. They became mighty in war. This is what it is for the believer. In the battle, we become mighty. It is not sitting there in preparation. It's in the battle that we become mighty. So when the things come upon you, remember, by faith you take hold of these promises. And in that, David recovered all. And it was in that manner that he recovered all. 
It was no other way that he attained this. He was given the promise, you go, you will attain all. He had to march at a pace that was so rapid that his own men couldn't keep up with him. 200 men fall away. So his men are falling. He had to, by faith, continue. He had to, by faith, hear that after this rapid march where 200 men couldn't continue, he meets this Egyptian and he still realizes he's three days behind. Still, even after this very rapid march, he's still three days behind. He had to walk in faith. And then he attacked. The, the battle went from twilight till evening the next day. So a 24-hour battle where he wipes these people out and it says only 400 of them, young men, got away on camels. So that supposes that there were a whole lot more than 400 if only 400 got away. Young men were able to get the camels and run away. Uh, uh, so, you know, the slaughter was great. He gave this to David by faith. The Lord has so much for you if you will but walk in faith that God has a lot for you in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and for your mercies. You are so good. Father, thank you for the, what we see in David, what we see in his life, the way you've been able to you were able to work and to raise in him this tremendous faith, the way he could strengthen himself in the Lord his God, even after the tremendous disasters and lapses of faith. And then you restored him. Father, I pray for these young people that they would learn to walk in faith as David did, so that they could see restoration in their lives. Father, I pray that they would take up your word and walk in it. Oh Lord, I commit them to you. Let them not be like the vast majority of believers that never pick up anything by faith. May they walk in faith. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.